everybody was like, Elmo, I'm fucking dying out here. It's like time to <laughs> trauma dump on a three-year-old. <laughs> Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Laura, I know you were simply over the moon this week. We all got yeah. some shocking news. Please tell us what it was, where you were, how you reacted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh my gosh. Well, it wasn't it, it wasn't like 9/11, so I don't remember exactly <laughs> where I was. I can't recite that chapter and verse. Um but I can say, you know, pretty confidently that I was at home when I heard the news of Jon Stewart coming back to The Daily Show, which is a huge deal for me as someone who has been watching The Daily Show since I was 10 or 11 years old. Oh, um, wow. It was really it was their Indecision 2000 coverage that really sealed the deal for me during that crazy election between you know, Gore and Bush that was ultimately decided by the Supreme Court. And ever since then, I've been hooked. I will say I have not watched it as religiously in recent history. But I think that there's a lot of great things that Trevor Noah brought to the show as a host. And I think there's a lot that hopefully sets Jon Stewart up for success as he resumes um, his time in the host chair. I think it's worth noting that he's only going to be manning the news desk on Monday nights for the rest of 2024, I think into 2025. So the other nights of the week are still going to be rotating guest hosts to fill a spot while they continue looking for a permanent host. Um, But John is also going to be serving as an executive producer on the show. So I think that'll help kind of determine the direction that we're going to see from it. And I'm personally really excited as someone who's been watching John Stewart since I mean, for like well over two decades at this point, uh, has seen his show multiple times. Live, in person. Yeah. Yeah, you went to tapings. You said 10 or 11 years old, you started watching him. Was this because your parents were watching him? Yeah. Okay. okay and then you sense. fell in love with John. I did. I did. That's when you knew you were straight. A lot of people, they have like a moment when they know they're gay, but for you... Sexual awakening. You're like, I love this man. Yeah. See, here's here's the thing. It was never like that. I just loved his mind. So I don't think that that really informed anything about my sexuality. Oh, right. I, I mean, genuinely. Now, Stephen Colbert, I think you could maybe uh, have a different discussion there. But, oh, okay. I mean... He was kind of like an early intellectual awakening for me in the world of like society and politics. Like that was the first really prominent figure that I started paying attention to. And I really think it it kind of informed the way that I looked for news. I really feel like watching The Daily Show, even though it was a comedy show or is a comedy show, it's still something that has historically been really well researched and it's really sharp. So those things just really informed the kind of voice that I want to have when I'm talking about politics and the issues that affect all of us. So 
needless to say, Jon Stewart and his legacy of making The Daily Show relevant, because The Daily Show was not relevant before he took over the hosting position. Um, all of that really had a major impact on me, for sure. I think the same can be said for our a lot of our generation, though. I think that, that The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, that was kind of like a lot of people's first foray into watching some kind of nightly news program. And I, I I mean, I vividly remember two headlines. Like if you weren't watching these shows, I'm sure you even remember headlines about how Jon Stewart and Steve Colbert were like the news source for so many millennials, people um, our age and in our age bracket. So I think there's something to be said for that. I think you could probably draw a similar parallel to like, you know, we always talk about how JK Rowling was a, a gateway to like reading and boosting reading numbers for millennials. I think you could say the same in terms of like news consumption when you look at what John Stewart and Steve Colbert were doing together and also separately on the Comedy Central. So yeah. Giving it to us, giving us the news in an entertaining way was really appealing. I think this is why we all like Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I mean, exactly. he's hitting on sometimes dark subjects, but he finds ways, he and his writers find ways to inject some humor into it as well to keep you engaged. So Laura clearly is a huge Daily Show fan. Pam, maybe you and I should share our relationship with The Daily Show. I wasn't watching it nightly at any point. But I was definitely paying attention to what was going on throughout the week. Uh, one of my favorite parts about watching Jon Stewart, and this is why I think he's such a icon, he often calls out the hypocrisy in media. And it's so entertaining and validating to watch. And it's an important reminder for everybody how imperfect the media can be. Yeah, and just a, a master debater, you know? He's so quick on his feet. Yeah. And I think... Growing up in the time when we did, even going back to what Laura was referencing, the the um, the Gore and Bush election and then like going into the Bush era, I think our generation was needing somebody like him to um, take the reins in questioning what was happening in that administration. And obviously there were other voices doing that as well, but there, there is like you know, something to be said about the way that that his voice specifically um, captured all of our attentions. I would also call myself a casual viewer like you. I wasn't tuning in every night when I was in New York. I did go to a few Daily Show tapings, but as I'm sure Laura knows, John Stewart used to take the summer off. So when I would go to Daily Show tapings, um, it's actually John Oliver who was manning the desk. So that was really fun. And then he ended up getting his show later. So, yeah, it was it was kind of cool to see him operating in that chair. So what happens with Jon Stewart at Apple TV Plus? Because that's where he was. He had this show called The Problem with Jon Stewart. I think we all watched it at some point or another. There were definitely some clips that went viral. He had some killer interviews. Pam, you mentioned uh, being a master debater. And by the way, a couple of our listeners are being like, master debater. Ha 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 ha. It sounds like masturbator. <laughs> Grow up, yeah. people in our Discord. I, I mean, listen, I don't know how else to phrase that. And I kind of knew that people were going to like laugh a little bit, but it's what it is. The king of debating. <laughs> listen, let's <laughs> let's just be real. We make jokes like that on this show all the time. So they are just serving us what we serve them. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with, with Apple TV Plus, Laura? Because really, the only reason why 
uh, he's returning to the Daily Show is because that show didn't work out. Yeah, so uh, it's reported that it's because of creative differences, namely because in season three of The Problem, Jon Stewart wanted to uh, do episodes that would tackle topics like China and AI, (laughs) two things that Apple is highly invested in and does not want uh, episodes pointing out all of their flaws and hypocrisies and like greater societal issues on their own platform. (laughs) And Jon Stewart, say what you will about him, he is a man of his convictions. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he would walk away from the table on a show like this with Apple if they're trying to kind of put a gag order on him on what he can and can't talk about. I just don't know how he didn't see that coming because surely at some point he knew he would be talking about China. He would want to talk about China on the problem with Jon Stewart. He didn't think about that before signing this mm-hmm. deal with Apple TV+. Plus. That's the thing that shocks me. AI, okay, maybe I could see him not expecting Apple to get cagey about a discussion around that. But China, of course he would talk about China at some point, And of course Apple would resist. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was kind of like wishful thinking on both their parts, on Apple's part, that maybe they would get a few more years out of him before he, um, you know, asked to talk about China and on John's part that they would recognize what an ass that he is and allow him to do that because they knew who they were hiring. I also feel like the same can be said about Hassan Minaj, who had a show very briefly on Netflix called The Patriot Act, which was very good. But he, like John, was very much pushing the needle over there until Netflix kind of got a little bit of cold feet. And they were like, we can't have you doing this. Um, and, you know, they pulled the plug. Patriot Act. That show was so good. But yeah, mm-hmm. another great example of a an area where people chose to grow apart rather than together because um, it probably made Netflix shareholders really uncomfortable is my thinking. Um, but to your question, Andrew, I would ask the exact same thing of Apple. And I think that's what Pam was alluding to here. That's it's true. like, I mean, they didn't think that this guy would want to talk about China and AI eventually. He'll talk about anything that is, you know, a present concern or conflict in the world. So Mm -hmm. I think it was a little short-sighted, maybe on both of their parts, to think that this partnership could work out if Apple wasn't really willing to give John a lot of creative freedom. It is nice to see him go back to Comedy Central. However, I've seen one complaint over the years, and I don't necessarily know if it's warranted or not, but it was a bummer that he was off during the Trump years and that year leading up to the 2016 election in which Trump Trump lost. Because I mentioned Jon Stewart has been the king of calling out hypocrisy. Trump is one of the most hypocritical politicians out there. Some people have said, John, you left us when we needed you most. I guess maybe in his defense, he didn't know what was coming. It's nice to see him come back. But what do you make of that, Laura? Like, should John have stayed in the public eye in the Trump years, even after the election? Well, he did. Um, Just because he wasn't on Comedy Central doesn't mean that he wasn't in the public eye and wasn't doing things to serve the public interest. As a matter of fact, he has been 
an outspoken advocate for um, our nation's veterans um, mm-hmm. for a long time back when he was the host of The Daily Show, this was a topic he talked about quite a bit, particularly after 9-11, when so many firefighters and members of the nation's military were tragically killed and the ones who did survive um, were treated horribly um, and not, you know, sort of given the the benefits and social safety net that they deserved. Um, even as recently as in the last couple of years, he's been lobbying and testifying in front of Congress about um, putting better protections in place for veterans who were exposed to burn pits, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a really common problem. I believe that Joe Biden's son who passed away was one of those veterans who was exposed to a burn pit um, is an example of, of someone who at the very least had some complications in life because of that. I'm not 100% sure if that led to his death. I don't know if that's been confirmed. Um, But a lot of people who were exposed to that kind of environment for a period of time have walked away with really deadly cancers. And, you know, the Veterans Affairs um, Office, you know, have very convenient and particular rules around what kinds of procedures and what kinds of conditions they will cover treatment for. So a lot of veterans have been having issues getting the health care that they need uh, for issues that came onto them as a result of their service to the country. And John Stewart has been a loud advocate for them for many, many years. And to the timing of his departure, I know I'm a John Stewart apologist here, like, whatever, it's fine. Um, but he actually announced his plans to leave The Daily Show in February of 2015. Uh, he left later that summer. Trump announced that he was running in June of 2015. So it wasn't like we were at the height of the election between Trump and Clinton when John was like, Tapping deuces. Out. <laughs> well, but weren't there rumors that Trump was going to be running? Look, I know, I know John Stewart put in a lot of years at the daily show, but it would have been so great to see him in that whole year of 2016 leading up to the election. And of course we all remember those months after Trump took office, how chaotic it felt I just think about Sean Spicer in those early days of the Trump administration, oh just an iconic shit show. Um, but I do. I, I Well, I think and I recognize he put in a lot of years and if he felt it was his time to leave, so be it. And of course, the work he has done for veterans is phenomenal. But I would have loved to have seen him, I don't know, launch a podcast or something, something where he's still talking about what's going on in our government. We really could have used his voice during that time. Yeah. I mean, I missed him for sure. But the only other thing I would say is he had young kids at the time, too. And I know a lot of the time when people walk away from all-encompassing projects like this, um, it's because they want to be able to watch their kids grow up. And it's a little harder when you're commuting into New York every day to yeah. do a show every night. We should have helped him launch a podcast from the comfort of his home. <sighs> Trust me. Why do you think he's coming back now then? I guess that's the big question. <laughs> I think The Daily Show has a host problem 
And I think he probably feels like his voice is needed. You know, something else that I was kind of wondering if we would see this from him on season three of The Problem um, is if there would be more of an attempt at public outreach around the election. And I could kind of see Apple not wanting to hand out a bunch of freebies outside of the free trials that they do offer. Um, But I think that the timing is right between The Daily Show not having a regular host, Jon Stewart not having a show to go back to, and realizing that this could be a moment where we strike while the iron's hot and get him back in the chair. Um, With the election coming up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's also an attempt to address the intersection of present day politics and the culture of Trumpism. I think that a show like this hosted by Jon Stewart, who was really like the lightning rod that gave legitimacy to comedy news shows in the early 2000s, Um, I think it's a great way to inform people of other things that are going on alongside this election year to really highlight that this is not normal. Like the, you know, leading contender for the GOP nomination is actively in trials all over the country. Um, It's a great opportunity to explore some of the fuckery that's happening at the state and local level. What is coming up from the Supreme Court this summer, um, we're going to hear some opinions in June that uh, are already making my butthole pucker. And <laughs> I think that it's just a really great example of how we can create a through line for people of what is at risk in this election um, and just make that very, very apparent for everyone. Like, what is the intersection of all this noise that we keep hearing about in the news cycle and the election and what's at stake? And I can't think of a better person to do that than someone who's already done it before, but also someone who is a Jewish man, really speaking to the dangers of the rise of an autocrat. In in terms of Jon Stewart having the same impact now, Obviously, we're in an age compared to where we were during his original run where viral moments are just what make a show blow up. He did have some viral moments with the problem with Jon Stewart. He had some amazing interviews in which he was trapping Republicans, and it was great to see. Some Democrats, too. He had some very hard-hitting interviews with people on both sides of the aisle. But I guess they're really just going to have to lean into getting as much of this show online as possible. Um, I have no doubt it's going. Every episode that he's on is going to be excellent. Um, and if he can get some viral moments, the types that I mean, those the problem with John Stewart ones. The show was not successful, but there is some stuff that blew up from the problem online. So if he has more great moments like that, I guess this will really take off and have an impact because I just I the other factor I'm thinking about here is The Daily Show airs at 11 p.m. on cable. We're long past the days of people even watching cable television. I mean, we just saw the Emmys a few days ago. That's airing on basic cable. Sorry, the Emmys a few weeks ago had their lowest ratings ever. Nobody's watching traditional television anymore. So. Are they going to put full episodes online? I know that first episode is going to have huge ratings. We'll we'll all tune into it. But then where does the show go? We were already doing the full episode thing with Trevor Noah, or at least like the larger 
parts, like the the more important interviews. It's not um, uncommon that I would see, you know, like eight to 15 minute clips. That's half the show. Yeah. You know, basically they're just cutting out the cold, the um, the soft open and the end, basically. But like the meat of the show uh, Comedy Central has been putting up on YouTube for quite some time now. So I don't think that's going to stop. Um, it's kind of a similar model to how HBO will put up almost the entirety of last week tonight with John Oliver on YouTube. So I think that they. Yeah, like the main segment. Yeah, I think that they realize that even though they would make more money if people were to subscribe, getting eyes on the thing is still just as good, even if they you know have to wait a few days to do that. It is surprising last week tonight does that because they are under an HBO subscription. Like, it's not like last week tonight is looking to make money off of that. I don't think that's like an HBO decision or a Max decision. And if I'm David Zaslav at WB, I'm like, why are we putting like the whole episode up on YouTube for free? Yeah, I mean, probably to try and attract people to sign up a little bit of that. Hey, if you like what you see, there's more. If you like 80% of the episode we're giving to you for free, here's 20 more percent (laughs) for $15. Well... Uh, some of the really f- some of the really funny segments don't get included in the YouTube pieces that are released. So maybe that's what they're thinking. I'll, I'll tell you this. I don't think that it's in an effort to uh, just do something out of the kindness of their heart. <laughs> they're no. getting some benefit from it for sure. Yeah. I just don't know what it is. Justin in the Discord, this is actually true, is saying because he wins award every year and that's great for HBO Max. I do think that part of it is they know that um, if like something like uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver gets buzz from the masses, then Emmy voters are more likely to look into the show. I see. He sweeps almost every year. He does. Yeah, at this true. point, like they probably don't even need to do that. But it's good to keep his name in the in the conversation amongst the uh, the general public. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All good points. All right. We are going to take a quick break and then we'll wrap up this part of the discussion. And then we're just going to talk about things coming back around again, which seems to happen quite often these days. We'll be right back. So what lies ahead, Daily Show superfan Laura T for this Comedy Central show? Is this an opportunity for them to audition additional hosts for the second post John Stewart era that'll come in 2025 or later. I kind of see this as an opportunity for them to to feel out who could take the reins next because lots of people will be tuning in for John Stewart. He's going to set the tone on Mondays potentially for what the other hosts discuss through the rest of the week. They're going to have on I guess up to four different hosts Tuesday through Friday. More people should be watching throughout the week, I would think. And then maybe more people will be talking about who should take over the reins after Stuart. Is that a strategy you think they have here? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll work better for them to audition hosts this time around because they've been doing that exact same model since Trevor Noah left, where they have a variety of 
you know, temporary hosts and they've been trying to find the right fit and it just hasn't worked out for them. But hopefully John brings additional viewership and, you know, they're able to really catch lightning in a bottle. Again, it really just depends on the talent, to be honest. But all of that is to say, I don't know what they're going to do if they don't find somebody. That's my question. Like, if they don't find the right person to, you know, succeed Trevor Noah in this position and now Jon Stewart in this, like, interim part-time position, I don't know what they're going to (laughs) do, honestly. Yeah, what's concerning to me is that the executives at the network have just been um, pushing that they're they're going to lean into this multiple host situation that they've been doing since Trevor Noah left. I don't know how much longer that's going to work for them because a show like The Daily Show, it it needs a leader. And I think that like while John is there and he's executive, he's executive producing, I feel like that he's going to serve as that. I just don't know like how long he's going to want to do that to your point past however long he's been contracted for, because, you know, it's all fun and games until you realize what a huge workload it is. I'm sure it takes a lot of work to put together a a nightly show. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I don't know. Um, Or maybe like, I don't know, maybe I'll have a hand in picking a successor, which would be nice. Laura T should host the daily show. No, I could no. Not. Oh wow. No, I couldn't. I don't I don't have the uh comedic timing. I just I'm not quite that quick on my feet and I'm also painfully shy. So <laughs> I could not. <laughs> That's why I podcast because I don't have a live studio audience. I have a digital studio audience. Oh, yeah. You don't just stare at their faces while we do this show. <laughs> I always say I have a face for radio. That's why I podcast. <laughs> shut up (laughs) shut up but no like the worst that our audience can do to me right now is caps lock yell at me yeah and then you you can be like oh my feelings are hurt and hit mute on the discord or something (laughs) well your your zaddy john stewart can sit down with you a few nights a week and get you comedically trained so you can take over the daily show i think you're selling yourself short laura you're funny you're sharp you got you got it thank you you know what you're talking about. I appreciate about. that. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll send in my resume and I'll also send along this video clip as evidence. Uh, the Andrew Sims endorsed me. <laughs> the Andrew Sims. <laughs> so the reviews of Laura are coming in on our Discord. Justin said in all caps, Laura, you are terrible. But, but Shane said in all caps, we love you, Laura. And that got three heart emojis. So that one's wow. winning. And then Sarah said, Laura, you're fabtastic and rock my socks. Aww. Whoa. Y'all are making me blush. See, she's so shy. She's just blushing. <laughs> I am. But I will say, speaking of, of women in late night, um, Taylor Tomlinson just got the after midnight slot, which I guess you could read into that, too, to be like, <laughs> oh, the only late night slot they had for a woman was the after yeah. midnight one. <laughs> Following a man at eleven thirty, yeah, really hope she lasts longer than a year. I feel like that's such a common occurrence, you know. On the other hand, and I've heard Howard Stern make this point over the years to Conan O'Brien. He said 
to uh, Conan O'Brien, you were crazy forever leaving. What was his show after the to- the Tonight Show, the twelve thirty one late night with Conan O'Brien? The late late show, late late show with Conan. Is it the late show? Late late show was James <laughs> Corden. Late. Well, my my point is that there was no pressure in that twelve thirty slot. Yeah, because nobody watches anyway. Nobody expects it to get ratings because nobody's watching. So maybe for this new twelve thirty show. Um, she'll be able to do good just because there's not much pressure to do well because it's the middle of the night. Yeah, agreed. And she's funny too. Like I haven't had a chance to actually watch the show yet, but I have seen her stand up and she's genuinely funny. So I'm hoping that she has a future here. She's around our age too, like early to mid thirties. So okay, finally cool. got that millennial representation up in there. All right. Well, we're all excited for The Daily Show. This almost came off like an ad, particularly if you were listening to Laura. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But Jon Stewart's coming back back mid-February. I think Valentine's Day week, which is appropriate. Uh, Laura's Valentine's Day plans are now set. Forget Mark. She's uh, having a hot date with (laughs) Jon Stewart that week. (laughs) Just the whole week. Yes, the whole week. Just a a week-long date. (laughs) I would like to give everybody a couple of updates concerning our Patreon. Our first roll call is here. And this is the first time we're talking about this in the main show. This is a new Patreon benefit for Bayes and executive producer patrons. Once a month, one of the three of us will be calling the other two panelists to hop in our recording studio for an unplanned, unedited, and likely chaotic little recording. We're not giving the other panelists heads up that we're about to call them. And we'll see what each of us is up to at any given moment. We had our first roll call Monday night. Laura called me as I was getting myself into a little bit of trouble, which I fessed up to. Uh, Let's just say my new one's coming in tomorrow. It's been expedited due to, you know, what occurred, allegedly. Uh, Due to the event. (laughs) The event. Yes. Um, So it's going to capture, I think, fun moments like that in our lives. Laura and Pam dreamed up this idea, and it's been so much fun already. We did that one Monday night, but we also had an episode zero that we did in December, and that one was a ton of fun, too. We actually unveiled this to Bayes and, and, and executive producer patrons via a QR code that was on the back of our signed album art last year. We kept it quiet until patrons opened up this mail and saw the QR code on the back. Then the code brought them to a page where they got episode zero. So we've been planning this and teasing it for a while behind the scenes. And now it's here. So I've got February. You two be on your toes throughout the month. You could call any time. <laughs> I'm going to call it the worst time imaginable. It's just the worst time. So yeah. Watch Lord, I don't answer. <laughs> I was afraid of that because I called during dinner time. I, it was like 9 p.m. over here. And I was like, all right, the night's wrapping up. And I wasn't thinking about the time difference. And these these two were both trying to eat dinner. I was I was a half hour away from going out to dinner. <laughs> if you called a half hour later, I probably wouldn't have answered. Like, what am I supposed to do? Oh, sorry, friend. I have to go do a podcast thing unexpectedly. Like, that's immediately going to lose me a friend. <laughs> no, you just say I'm going to the bathroom and then they think you're just taking a dump. <laughs> 
for 24 minutes. Then he notices I've been gone for 20 minutes. He checks in on me. I'm sitting there laughing, right. sitting like, on the okay? toilet. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> That's when you just say, I have an extremely important business call I have to take. <laughs> and then go sit on the toilet and giggle for 20 minutes. Oh, my and gosh. <laughs> then it's really awkward. They're like, what kind of business are you on? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyway, this is a really fun new benefit. So definitely check that out if you're at the Bay or executive producer level. Speaking of Patreon benefits coming up in After Dark today, we'll have part two of our friendship series. We're going to discuss how to deal with people who are late, which happens a lot, as well as the importance of reciprocation and where our lines are when we give or receive reciprocation in a friendship. It's something that's been on the minds of Pam and I in particular. So we'll talk about that at patreon.com slash millennial today. Wow. Is there about to be an intervention in After Dark today? Because you're very pointedly like, it's something me and Pam have been thinking a lot about lately. (laughs) Yes, we're realizing uh, we've got the short end of the stick (laughs) when it comes to this trio. So uh, now no, if no, you no. want to hear me get voted off the island, you got to subscribe to our Patreon here <laughs> after dark. <laughs> so, Pam, carry us through the rest of the episode today, please. Reciprocate. <laughs> Try my best. So the topic of Jon Stewart returning to The Daily Show really kind of started getting us thinking about how, you know, it's been a trend in media that things are really coming back around, especially things that we grew up with. Obviously, there have been no shortage of reboots or revivals over the course of the last few years. But I feel like anytime you see one that really resonates with you, that's the one you get really excited about. And so I I think that like, Laura, would it be safe to say that John returning to The Daily Show, is this really exciting thing for you? Like, is this the thing that you you're the most excited about of everything else that has come? Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Like this is the thing that really resonates with who I am (laughs) as a person. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me, but that's the truth. It just says you really connected with The Daily Show and Jon Stewart during his reign and you're excited for more of it. But will it live up to the memories you had? That's the million dollar question. At least you don't have to wait very long to find out, right? Like two weeks in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, often we hear about revivals and we have to wait like a year or years before actually getting it. And I wanted to talk about this today because once it comes around, once it actually premieres, a lot of people are actually over it. But we'll get to that in due course. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that like the our like, um, what would you call them? Like not our golden years, but like our our formative (laughs) years. They're really kind of like back in in fashion, right? If it's not the media we used to consume coming back around, um, the fashion trends are coming back around. I think like you could even say like some of the music trends are coming back around too. So with that in mind, like, does it, does this really feel like our time for nostalgia? Um, Are we still kind of like eating up the idea of nostalgia too? Or is it kind of like beating a dead horse, so to speak? Are we kind of sick and tired of it? Well, I'm, sick and tired of some nostalgia i'm sick and tired for example of disney trying to reboot if you will every classic animated movie but i think the reason why we get so excited about 
things coming back around like The Daily Show or let's say this Harry Potter TV reboot or some TV shows have been rebooted over the years like Girl Meets War- Boy Meets World got rebooted, Gilmore Girls got another season, you know, stuff like that. We yearn for those earlier years when we felt like we were in a better place in life, we were happier in life. I'm also thinking about this because people, and to to the internet's credit, people are very open these days about how tough life can be, financial reasons, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, yesterday on Twitter, Elmo. (laughs) I'm so glad you're bringing this up. (laughs) Oh, I was freaking living for this yesterday. Elmo asked on Twitter, how is everybody doing? I'm just checking in. Everybody was like, Elmo, I'm fucking dying out here. It's like time to trauma dump on a three-year-old. <laughs> there were so many great responses. Uh, speaking of trauma dumping, somebody was like me getting ready to trauma dump on Elmo. And it was a gif of Jack Nicholson <laughs> swirling a whiskey glass at a bar. <laughs> somebody else said, y'all have traumatized Elmo. That baby is three. He doesn't need to know all this. Yeah, but he's been three for a really long time. He's like Edward Cullen. <laughs> How long have you been three? No, but he's forever three. And that's why we love him. He's forever cute and innocent and just full of love. Somebody else said, hi, Elmo. Except, what? except for when he was super pissed at Rocco. Do you remember that, Oh, run? that's right. Yeah. The last time he went viral. <laughs> I live for the Rocco feud. Um, oh, somebody else tweeted, hi, Elmo, wire me $100,000 right now or Dorothy gets it. Dorothy's his goldfish. <laughs> There's a photo of Dorothy in the crosshairs of a gun. It's just, <laughs> I just, I, I was screaming yesterday, literally screaming at some of this stuff. And now I'm tearing up. Um, we just yearn for a better <laughs> time. We yearn for the days where Elmo just like, you know, our lives were Elmo's life. <laughs> He's just happy. He just feuds with a rock and stares at his goldfish and that's it. That's all we want. We just want to feud with with something that can't talk back to us and uh, stare at our <laughs> pet fish. Well, moving right along here. I, I mean, like, do we worry, though, as fun as like the resurgence of things that we used to love um, coming back? Like it is exciting. It can be exciting depending on what the property is. But like, do you all ever worry that it kind of staunches um, like uh, unique creativity or like staunches the potential for genuinely creative new ventures? Like, do we do we feel like, for example, like that, um, you know, John Stewart coming back to The Daily Show? Is that like taking away an opportunity from somebody else? Are there really is there really nobody better that could have taken the, the helm? I'm sure there is somebody maybe who's better poised in this moment to take it and Mm -hmm. can be representative of where America is now, especially if you're thinking about someone younger. But unfortunately, all the people who may have that talent may not have had the level of exposure to come across Comedy Central's radar, right? Like that, that is the unfortunate reality of show business. And you know, large corporations and media companies are really shy about taking a chance on things. We see a lot of safety being chased 
by pursuing all of these reboots and these reimaginings of, you know, popular shows, movies, what have you from when we were younger. But I also don't think that that's anything new. I definitely remember growing up movies coming to theaters like god what is it what was the movie danger will robinson lost in space Lo- isn't it lost, in, lost space? in space thank you for that i'm terrible with titles tonight but that was like a tv show when our parents were kids and then they made the movie in the 90s yeah you know i think that's that true. we see a lot of this kind of thing happening with every generation and i think it can be really easy when you're the generation whose childhood nostalgia is now being recycled, <laughs> um, I think it can be really easy to feel like, oh, my God, this is happening so much now. It never used to happen before. But I think it's always happened. And I think in general, it's because multinational media companies are really shy about rocking the boat too yeah. much. And every now and then you get something that's really special and really unique in the midst of all of this. But I think in general, they just try to play it safe. Yeah, because they don't want to take the financial risk. And there's so much content out there these days for people to consume so much television alone. Why take a big risk on a costly, massive project that's completely original if you don't know if it's going to take off? But on the other hand, that's how you do find your next big hit. So... They just would prefer to err on the side of caution. I do think reboots going back to older material, like I do feel like it's happening more often because they because of how the media landscape is evolving right now. Like this streaming world is still so new and unpredictable that they really don't. They're still kind of like figuring it all out. And again, it's just because of all these streaming apps, there's so much to watch. You just get overwhelmed. And I I guess on the other hand, as I say this, I realize that sometimes you start looking through like Netflix and HBO and you get so exhausted by all the content. You just go back to the hits you know you can count on. The West Wing, Breaking Bad. I don't want to try something new and waste my time. So I keep going back to the, the stuff I know I will enjoy. I feel really seen right now because I am currently uh, doing another rewatch of The West Wing. And I'm currently doing another rewatch of Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. But if they if they decided to reboot both of those shows, I think that like even if you were dubious about whether or not they could be hits, you would probably be more inclined to give the show a chance, right? Like a real chance, two, three, four episodes versus maybe just dipping in to watch the pilot, deciding it's not for you and being like, eh, I don't like this. Like, let me move on to something else. Definitely. For some like completely unique property. So. But I think another problem is that it doesn't, these reboots and all that, they never live up to the original. I think we as consumers of pop culture are more in love with the idea of these things coming back than we actually are in love with these revivals themselves. I think about working on Hypable, the entertainment site that Pam and I were involved with for nine years, when they announced Girl Meets World, when they announced the new Gilmore Girls, people were losing their gosh darn minds over this stuff. And I recall Gilmore Girls being a big deal when it actually premiered. Girl Meets World, not so much. But I just, time and time again, when we saw these reboots, and you think about all the Disney ones too, 
when we saw these reboots, people just by the time they actually came out, people were just like, all right, they weren't losing their shit like they were when they were first announced. So I just think like people just have these memories of the originals and they just want to go back to that. But then you go back to it with the revival and you're like, I'm just in a different headspace. It's a different time in my life. I actually did not need more of this. And <laughs> maybe it's not as good as the original, which we know happens quite a bit. Yeah, I think the issue is like, even if you're genuinely excited about this, like, I, I mean, Gilmore Girls was like, it was one of those shows that I was such a huge fan of in my formative years. And I think that anybody that knows the story of the original run of Gilmore Girls also knows that the um, original creators were not involved in the last season. So there's like sometimes with shows like that, in addition to just being so beloved, there's this like wistful lore of wanting to know like what the original plan for the ending was. For example, the Paladinos, like what would the Paladinos have done with Gilmore Girls? But then you actually get that. And I think the reason sometimes it falls flat is because we've had, um, you know, like a decade or more, or maybe a little bit less to kind of sit with the idea of what that could have looked like. And then when it doesn't fit your particular headcanon, then all of a sudden you're like upset, right? right? Like you expect like these writers to just like pluck these story ideas straight out of your head and give you exactly what you want. But that never happens because they have their own ideas. You know, I think that we all just need to be like a little bit more realistic. So it's okay to get excited, but you have to temper your expectations, right? Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it's also hard to, you know, when using Gilmore Girls as an example, it's a great example of this. You know, other writers come in to finish out the series and the original writers come back and they have to reconcile what happened in the series that they didn't contribute to and somehow give the ending that they wanted to give and make it all make sense. And I think that was the really painful point of the Gilmore Girls revival is it just felt like such a it felt like whiplash to be honest with you like there was a lot of like character regression and things too that just wasn't satisfying at all yeah it really didn't make any sense yeah because they they tried to age not to make this like gilmore girls cast but they tried to age the characters without aging the story so you had characters that like were older, but then had remained stagnant, stagnant, had not had any sort of character development since the last time we visited them. And that was severely unsatisfying. I think that like, well, moving on from Gilmore Girls too, with Girl Meets World, which is another property you brought up, Andrew, the interesting thing about that show is that I think that like we as millennials were excited about the original cast coming back. Right. And that was a very exciting part of that show. But like you cannot watch a show like that, understanding that it's supposed to follow a new generation of like the Matthews. Right. And expect it to only focus on the parents because the show is girl meets world. It's not boy meets world part two. And so there's again, there's like a disconnect there with like fans our age getting really excited about something. But like they're telling you exactly what they're going to give you sometimes. Mm-hmm. In the case of Girl Meets World, they were they were telling us it's that one, too, is interesting as well, because the original cast has gone on to say on their rewatch podcast of Boy Meets World that they feel like the um, Girl Meets World was done a disservice when they decided to really lean into the parents storyline, because then it took away from 
the kids uh-huh. storyline, which was supposed to be like the whole point of the show. And yeah. I think that like it's nice to hear that in hindsight coming from them because it really should have been like their time to take the spotlight and they should have been like background characters. But the fact that like that show only ran for three seasons and like a lot of the later seasons were really kind of like split between like what was happening with the kids and what was happening with the parents is very telling of probably some very real creative differences that happen when networks are trying to kind of like grapple between, you know, giving audiences something new or bringing in a new generation of fans, but then also like keeping hold of the the people that are going to be tuning in for your show regardless because they remember the original or have fond memories of the original. You know what I will say? I thought the West Wing did this really well because they didn't do a reboot or a a revival. But what they did do was uh, a stage performance of an episode of the West Wing at the height of COVID right before the 2020 election to really kind of try to bolster and engage people to get out the vote. And it was so good. Um, The entire thing was, again, just a a performance of that same script just adapted for theater. And I thought that was really well done because they brought the cast back. Um, You know, unfortunately, you know, one or two folks from the original cast have since passed. um, But they got everyone who is still around to come back for that. And it was really cool to see the same actors aged up in these roles. And it kind of gives you a sense of, I don't know, it scratches that itch a little bit. If you were ever wondering, oh, I I wonder what happened to CJ or I wonder what happened to Toby, right? Like it gives you a glimpse into that possibility without potentially revealing too much and it being disappointing. Coming up, we'll talk about some other reboots that we've enjoyed. And Pam is going to go off on the now canceled Lizzie McGuire reboot. We'll be right back. Andrew, do you have a, a reboot or revival that you've been excited for that that has like, um, you know, exceeded your expectations or left you feeling satisfied? Because I guess for Laura, it's the West Wing, which I do remember a lot of fans being really satisfied with that, to your point. Yeah, it's not fictional, but Queer Eye, I thought, has been a really great revival. It's still a feel good watch. They assembled a great Fab Five I mean, that really makes or breaks the show, and they pulled that off. We're losing Bobby Burke after the current season. I was not really a huge fan of Bobby Burke anyway, so I don't mind that. That's the only one where I'm like, oh, well, what a revival. I will say I'm very optimistic about the Harry Potter TV show. They have such a great opportunity teed up. Um, they, They just need to follow the playbook i.e. the books, and they should be golden. You know, get the cast right, put all the money in the world into it, all that, but follow the damn books to a T, pretty much, and you should be set. And they're going to make a lot of people really happy, so I'm currently very optimistic about that. Pam, I know one for you that you've been pumped to, well, you were pumped about until it got canceled, was Lizzie McGuire. Do you want to get some things yes. off your chest there? <sighs> My gosh. Yeah. So the Lizzie McGuire, like many millennials, I think I was very excited for the Lizzie McGuire revival. It just everything that was coming out of 
that um, production until Disney pulled the plug just felt like they were really moving in the right direction with the show. Really, um, the the people involved and everything that they had been saying when it was still in production also kind of gave so many fans hope that they were really bringing the character of Lizzie and all of the other characters they were bringing back into, you know, like the present day, because you can't do... Um, you know, a revival of a show like that and and have a character behave the same that they did when they were 12 and 13 years old, you know, um, and um, obviously that didn't end up working out because Disney got cold feet for anybody who doesn't remember or didn't know. They actually were worried that um, it was going to tarnish the image of the Lizzie McGuire TV show because they just wanted they didn't want um, Hillary Duff's character to be portrayed as, you know, a grown woman in her 30s. So that was too bad. But the reboot actually was making headlines recently, a few weeks ago, because one of the writers on the team, Jonathan Hurwitz, got onto TikTok and started talking about, you know, basically the plot of what would have been the first three episodes of this revival. And everything coming out of it was just so good and everything you would have wanted to see from you know, um, a Lizzie McGuire who was in her 30s and having a bit of a crisis in terms of like where her life was going now that it was in shambles. I think that like for a lot of millennials that reach a certain age and kind of start freaking out about life and how fast it's moving and like where you're supposed to go next, I feel like that would have been so comforting to to see a character like that struggle on the small screen. So it is too bad that we never got that. But if you just want a little bit of a serotonin boost um, and maybe something else to fuel your anger at Disney Plus for not actually greenlighting this, I would just go Google um, this guy and see what he had to say about that. So the headlines are everywhere. But yeah, it looks like it would have been really good. I'm sorry for your loss. Or watch How I Met Your Father. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's another show that um, I think that like people needed to let marinate because I think that it really hit its stride in like the seventh episode, but most yes. people don't have that attention span. It was hard. It was really hard because I, I loved how I met your mother for the most part. It had some moments that I didn't enjoy particularly in the last season, but I really wanted to like the show mainly because I love Hillary Duff. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is the closest we're going to get to a Lizzie McGuire reboot. Um, but once you got partway into the season, it was pretty good. Yeah. Younger, too. Did you ever watch Younger with Hillary Duff? It's no. another se- it's, The series is like is completed now. It's Hillary Duff and Sutton Foster, who a lot of you will know from um, Broadway fame as well. So Sutton Foster decides after she gets divorced from her husband that she wants to go back to work in publishing and nobody will hire her because she's too old. She's in her 40s now. I think she starts off in her 40s or maybe like mid to late 30s. And so she decides with some coaxing from her best friend to fake her age And as soon as she lies and says she's 25, she gets hired at a publishing agency to be a a young adult book editor. And Hilary Duff is like one of her coworkers. And so it's like it's super fun. If and if anybody is listening has never watched Younger before, I would highly recommend checking it out. I think you can stream the whole series on YouTube. I mean, on, on Hulu. But yeah, it's it's really good. I think that like if you're looking for something to fill the void, that might be a good option for you. I don't know if what this is a prequel I'm about to bring up. I guess it's sort of a revival. 
you all remember the Ted movies with Mark Wahlberg? Yeah. Yeah. Seth MacFarlane voices the teddy bear. I loved those movies. There's now a prequel TV series on Peacock. And like I said, I loved the movies. So I've paid attention to the TV show, but I was like, no way this will actually be as good as the movies. This show is so freaking funny. I've been watching it over the past week. Um, There's seven episodes in season one. I'm taking my time with it because I don't want it to end. The episodes are... 40 minutes or longer, most of them, which was a pleasant surprise for a comedy. It is so funny. It's offensive. Laura, there's a certain hobby that happens within the show that that, you know, you get down with. Um, oh, I so see. you might like it for that reason. <laughs> I think I smell some of that hobby happening in my living room right now. <laughs> if you're referring to the same thing. <laughs> Ted is such an adorable freaking teddy bear, even though he's so foul mouthed when they put him in like a hockey jersey or like a, a suit. It's just the cutest thing ever. I highly recommend this show if you liked the Ted movies or if you just need a good laugh, give the first episode a shot. It's so great. But that's another, I guess you could call it a revival that is has actually impressed me. One more point I'll make on hoping that earlier things we loved will still capture that same magic. I feel like I run into this issue with video games where back when I was a kid with my Nintendo 64, I would love Banjo-Kazooie, Super Mario 64, GoldenEye, etc. Absolutely loved these games as a kid. And then they get re-released. A couple of the ones I just mentioned, actually all the ones I just mentioned are all playable on Nintendo Switch now through their uh, online subscription. I try to play them now. They just don't capture that same magic for me anymore. And sure, video games have come a long way. So I'm sure that's a factor. But again, like I was saying earlier, I think we just love the memories for many of these things more than we love the idea of continuing to enjoy them. They were great when we first enjoyed them in different parts of our lives. But now we've changed. We've grown up. We have different wants and needs. They don't do it for us anymore. So I think, again, we're more in love with the idea of these things coming back than we are actually enjoying them. Some of them, they will please us, but it's such a high bar and maybe an impossible bar for them to hit for us. So to wrap things up here, I I think that we all kind of have this idea in our head of like, in an ideal world, how long would Hollywood make to remake the thing, right? And I feel like we might have answered that before. But we can all just go around and and answer that question as well. But on the flip side, I also wanted to ask you guys, like, what do we think that Hollywood thinks is an appropriate time to wait? Because I think that those are like two different numbers for a lot of people. Usually it's a great question. Yeah. For the fans, it's a really long time, most likely. Yeah. For Hollywood. (laughs) Once they stop making money on the original. (laughs) Or think they could be (laughs) making more with a revival? Because like, if you think about... I was going to say seven years. Seven years, you think? (laughs) I think... Seven to ten years for Hollywood. Not for me. Yeah. But for Hollywood. I mean, Disney is doing that with Moana. Like, Moana is not that old. And they're already doing, (laughs) um, you know, a live adaptation. Yeah. So, live action. Mo- Moana came out in November 2016. So it's been seven yeah, that's years. Almost 10 years, though. Eight years this year. Yeah. 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 That one feels very soon. 
It, because 2016 yeah. does not feel long ago at all. In some ways no. it does, but in mm. other ways, in terms of movie releases, that's not long ago at all. In terms of a number, uh, I already kind of shared my opinions, but in terms of a number, I like seven, Pam. I, I think they could... I think they wish they could get down to like five years or something. Five, yeah. <laughs> That's too soon. A lot of people think even this Harry Potter reboot is too soon, but I, I feel like you for, like that last movie came out in 2011. Yeah. It's it's going to be probably 15 years by the time we actually see this airing on Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. you really have to go with like not even the last movie for something like that. Like you really have to go with the first movie, right? Oh, Because they're starting right. from... So they're starting from the beginning. No, they're yeah. actually jumping straight to Prisoner of Azkaban. Ugh, news to me. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> Wouldn't name. that be crazy? <laughs> we're going to get straight to the dark stuff. They want to get Gary Oldman back. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. we got to get him in. He's like, he's going to age out of serious black suit. <laughs> got to get it locked and loaded. We don't want to cast a, a new trio that are nine years old. We want to do like 12 or 13. <laughs> no, let's just get the originals back. Just get the OGs. <laughs> oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Benjamin Button them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anything's possible now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, coming up in After Dark today, like I teased earlier in the episode, we're going to talk about Friends, part two of our friendship series. This week, we're going to discuss how to deal with people who are late, as well as the importance of reciprocation and why we wish Laura would reciprocate more. I'm going to get fired. Don't forget, After Dark is part of Mega Millennial, which is the main show without ads with After Dark attached to the end. If you're a Spotify user and you aren't a patron, just tap into the show. Then you can click that Patreon banner that you see at the top and you'll be able to access the Patreon audio benefits like Mega Millennial, in which we fire Laura right within Spotify. There's other great Patreon benefits, including our brand new Roll Call benefit. This one's really unique and a lot of fun. Please do check that out, Bay and Execs. Uh, We hope you enjoy that. We also have our executive producer meetings for the executive producer patrons. We broadcast these live two Thursdays a month. And they go anywhere for 30 to 60 minutes. And we're planning the following week's episode. And again, it's a lot of fun as we're trying to figure out what to do for the following week. Plus, we got the Discord access. We got the live streams. We got all kinds of things. Patreon.com slash millennial. We also have that Apple podcast subscription if you would prefer to support us that way. And you will get Mega Millennial through there. Time for some recommendations. How about you, Laura? I mentioned this during the show, but I just want to recommend if you are a West Wing fan, you should definitely check out the West Wing special to benefit when we all vote on Max. It's so good. Continuing with my travel theme in recent weeks, I want to recommend Planet Fitnesses. We all see the commercials if you live in America, especially around the new year. Planet Fitnesses are really nice gyms. And it's a very pleasant surprise for the price. They're $10 to $20 per month. Most, and this is why I really love them, they're very large. They're very clean. They have high ceilings, which matters to me at a gym because otherwise I just feel like I'm breathing in everybody's gross germs as they're exhaling on the treadmill. They got tons of equipment. They're all over the country. If you do the um, $20 a month plan, you can go to any Planet Fitness in the country. So I love having that for when I'm visiting uh, family back in New Jersey. There's also the Black Card Spa. 
Uh, again, $20 a month uh, plan. Uh, they have water massagers, which feel great. You just lay down and these like water jets hit your back. It feels so good. And they got standard massage chairs. It's just such a really great deal in the year 2024. And you can bring a guest. So like technically you could just pay if there's like two of you in your house, you could each pay $10 to get all the benefits. Right. The only downside is you have to deal with all the purple equipment. I hate that all their equipment is purple. But other than that, it's great. I wanted to recommend The Greatest Night in Pop. This is a music documentary on Netflix, and it's about the making of the We Are the World charity single from 1985. Um, I think anybody that knows a little bit about this probably knows that like almost everybody from that was like a huge um, singer in 1985 was a part of this. There's Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie, Bruce Springsteen, Cyndi Lauper, Huey Lewis. So many fantastic um, artists got together to create this charity single um, for Africa. But it was also all done in one night after the AMAs. So it was just really fun to watch this. It's really short. It's like an hour and a half. And there's so much archival footage and also like new interviews with the artists that were there. Um, but yeah, if you're a, a music fan and especially if you're a fan of um 80s music, I would highly recommend checking this out on Netflix. It's a good rec. I definitely want to see that. Make sure you're following the show in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And we would really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Spotify also offers podcast listeners the option to submit feedback right within an individual episode page. So you can sound off there on any episode. You can also email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And we're on social media. Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and threads. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. After Dark starts in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.